When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to another week of Trashy Divorces. My name is Stacy. Hey friends, I'm Alicia. We're so glad you're with us today. Thanks for joining us for another adventure in marital mishaps. This week, what about Bob? What about Bob? Bobby is his name, as Etta James so wonderfully sings. And this week we got two famous Bobs. Who are you bringing for us, Alicia? Bob Evans. Oh, I love his sausages. Not the Sausage King Bob Evans. Not the Sausage King. No. This Bob Evans is Robert Evans, legendary Hollywood producer, also soon to be inducted into the Trashy Divorces Hall of Fame All-Star Club. Oh, yeah. With a big special thanks to Paula, who has wanted this one inside of her trashy heart. And Paula, this is only the beginning. Stacy, this week you went a little down under I for another did. famous I Bob. Headed back to our Aussie friends to cover Bob Hawk, former prime minister of their fair country. He had a lot going on <laughs> all through his long marriage. Before we start our episode today, I have this magic mirror with some names in it to give thanks to the new folks who joined us over at Patreon this week. Yeah, thanks for joining us at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Rebecca V. Erica V. J.M.B., Victoria H., and Brenna L. Holy cats. We are so grateful to all of y'all. Thank you so much for your support. New Patreon supporters, existing Patreon supporters, and you for coming back. We got two Bobbies, one episode. Seems like we better go, go, go. Alicia, you're going to kick off our tour of Bobs? I am. I've got a Bob that some of y'all have really wanted, Robert Evans. And if you are asking right now, who the hell is Robert Evans? Trust me, I think you know him, but you may not know his name. This is a very spiderweb adjacent story. Get ready to get sticky. Spiderwebby to spiderwebby story. It is so full of spiderwebs. I am delighted today. If we can do our herald sound, da da da, do, do, do. there you go, to introduce and induct Robert Evans oh. into the Trashy Divorces Hall of Fame. Welcome, Bob. Robert Evans is a Hall of Famer, but hold on before we get there. Let me, let me set the stage a little. Robert Evans is a Hollywood legend responsible for some of the industry's biggest films. Many of these films, I dare say, you have heard of. Let's go through a few. The Godfather. Chinatown, wow. Rosemary's Baby, okay. The Odd Couple, hmm. Love Story, hmm. The Great Gatsby. Those are only just a handful. Robert Evans was mm-hmm. the head of production at Paramount Pictures. Okay. And him being the head of production there turns the entire struggling studio back around into a successful Hollywood powerhouse. Lots of hit movies, record profits. But for our purposes here at Trashy Divorces... Robert Evans and his success, you know, within the biz, as well as his reputation as a 
flamboyant, profane, and permanently tanned vain philanderer will earn him the nickname of the Playboy Peacock of Paramount. That's impressive. Heck of a nickname. His career is not the only part of his life that was legendary. He was also one of the most colorful characters in Hollywood history. His personal life is worthy of its own movie script. I want to give a big shout out to Melissa O. She's done a, an enormous amount of research on Bob Evans. And we will be covering a few more of these spider webs on Patreon. But we're here for the divorces today. Robert Evans is at the center of every celebrity party scene. He cavorts with beautiful and famous women. Here's your totals. He's married and divorced a whopping seven times. Congrats. He really is an all-star. With the longest marriage lasting three years. Wow. I'm going to wait to tell you about his shortest marriage until we get there. Okay. Living until the ripe old age of 89, Robert Evans had an almost mythical life of luck, charm, glamour, power, success, debauchery, and scandal. Hmm. Very few people in modern history quite lived a life of excess in the way that Robert Evans did. Let's get into it. Robert Evans was born Robert Shapira on June 29th, 1930 in New York City. His father was a dentist, that's Archie, and his mom, Florence, she was a housewife. And the family lives on New York's Upper West Side. This is funded mainly by Florence's family. She's got a little bit more cash than Archie, but Bob will have a brother, Charles, and a sister, Alice. Robert, from the beginning, always has a flair, always craving the spotlight, and thus begins auditioning for acting roles as early as middle school and will claim to have over 300 radio parts as a young child. Wow, so he, all right, he had the bug oh, early. He's, he's, got, he's got so many bugs. <laughs> Robert will dabble in the fashion business as well by modeling clothing and as a salesman. And then he and his brother Charles will start a women's fashion company. The name of that brand is Evan Pacone. I don't know if you've ever heard of Evan Pacone. They were kind of a big deal. Okay. But despite his budding career in fashion, acting, and show business, were Robert Evans' destiny. And he's going to get his big break when he's discovered by... Norma Shearer, wife of Irving Thalberg. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Robert is sunbathing at the Beverly Hills Hotel. This is at their pool on November 6, 1956. When Norma Shearer spots Bob and thought he would be perfect to play the role of her late husband, Irving Thalberg, in a film called Man of a Thousand Faces. Later that year, Bob gets cast as the bullfighter Pedro Romero in the film adaptation of Ernest Hemingway's novel, The Sun Also Rises. Hmm. His co-stars in that film were Tyrone Powers, Ava Gardner, and Errol Flynn. Some Hollywood heavyweights. Tyrone, Ava, and Errol not impressed with the performance of young Bob and want <laughs> no. him dropped from the film. Wow. But this is how Bob Evans creates his legend. The director of that film, Daryl F. Zanuck, famously will declare, quote-unquote, the kid stays in the picture. The kid stays in the picture is the tagline that will stick with Evans for the rest of his life, as well as become 
the title of his memoir mm. many years later. That makes sense. The kid stays in the picture. Mm-hmm. This was a pivotal moment for Robert Evans as well. This was the moment when he decides he doesn't just want to be an actor. He wants to be the person who gets to decide if someone stays in the picture or not. Hmm. Bob Evans said, quote, I wanted to be the guy who makes the decisions, not the guy who has the decisions made for him. I feel terrible that he felt bullied by Ava Gardner. (laughs) (laughs) I will have my revenge behind the camera. Right. Bob will make a few other films, but will get a little discouraged in 1961 when he loses a role to Warren Beatty. Hmm. This setback, tough, tough for Bob. Sends him back into the fashion business that he had started with his brother. But, handily, luckily, this is when the Revlon Corporation will come and purchase Evan Pacone and makes Bob Evans and his brother... A fortune. Very rich. Okay. Hmm. Now, no problem. Bob's got this. He knows exactly what he's going to use the money for. He's going to buy his way back into Hollywood. But this time, he wants to be a producer. So with a few key connections in the publishing world, Bob Evans was told about any upcoming books that might make good movies. He's got the inside track. Bob's first success was with Roderick Thorpe's The Detective, which starred Frank Sinatra. Wow. Bob was smart enough to put into the contract that whatever studio purchased the rights to the book, Bob would be allowed to produce it. Handy. And thus, Mm -hmm. a legendary Hollywood career is born. Soon, Bob is hired by Charles Bloodhorn, head of Paramount's parent company, Gulf & Western, to be in charge of production at Paramount. Things are looking pretty good. And although many in the industry are a little skeptical and critical about his hiring, Bob Evans will soon show them that he was more than capable of turning around the struggling studio. The first marriage happens that same year that Warren Beatty breaks his heart. This is 1961. Evans will marry his first wife, actress Sharon Hugeny. The two meet on the set of a film This is at Warner Brothers. The film is called Parish. And Bob Evans says in his autobiography that Sharon Hugeny was being pitched as the next Elizabeth Taylor. Hmm. She's very lovely. She's best known for her roles in the TV series Maverick, 77 Sunset Strip, and the film The Young Lovers with Peter Fonda. The two do not date very long before Evans proposes which he claims to have done so that his dying mother would get to see him married and responsible before she shuffled off this mortal coil. That is an A-plus reason to get married to someone. Robert Evans was 30 years old. His new bride had just turned 17. Oh, my God. This wedding happens in May 1961, and the wedding, pretty posh. It was attended by Elizabeth Taylor and Eddie Mm. Fisher. Interesting. Cary Grant, Natalie Wood, and Robert Wagner, in addition to many other Hollywood stars. Mm -hmm. Lots of all-stars in this one. Yeah. Soon after the wedding, though, Robert decides to return to New York and into the fashion business. And Sharon, young, does not adapt too well with that move and was completely overwhelmed by the size and pace of New York City. Bob Evans will recall that it was, quote, like setting a Persian cat loose in the Amazon, unquote. Oh, wow. 
Sharon had a tough time. She'd have panic attacks Mm -hmm. and not be able to find her way around. Yeah, New York is, I, I think, eternally its own vibe. Well, by the end of 1961, November 1961, in fact, so six months later, the two head down to Mexico for a quickie divorce. Oh, boy. This has it all. Sharon is back in Hollywood before her 18th birthday. Oh, my God. But due to a little bit of technicality, some legal wrangling, this divorce would not be legally finalized within the United States for another three years until 1964. But don't worry, 1964... We got bride number two coming down the aisle. Bob Evans' second wife was a Swedish actress. Her name was Camilla Sparv. I'm sensing a pattern. The two marry in 1964. And Sparv had won a Golden Globe for Most Promising Newcomer in 1967 for her role in Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round. She also had roles in Murderer's Row, The Trouble with Angels, such a good film, Nobody Runs Forever, Downhill Racer, also with Robert Redford. This is big. Wait, this is the best part. It's not the best part. Every part of the story is the best part. Robert and Camilla, when they get married, spend their honeymoon with Robert's good friend, Porfirio Ruby Rosa. Oh, boy. And his wife at the Marbello Beach Club in Spain. This would have been Porfirio Ruby Rosa's last wife. Okay. Robert Evans said in his memoir, The Fat Lady Sang that he couldn't help but notice that Camilla noticing Ruby's famous endowment. Mm -hmm. But he said he understood it because everyone else noticed it too. Right. And if you haven't listened to the full catalog, you covered Porfirio Ruby Rosa a long time ago. He was a Dominican spy, basically, diplomat and spy, kind of informed James Bond, the the character of James Bond. Famously married to... Doris Duke Mm -hmm. and Barbara Hutton, Mm -hmm. who were both very much rivals. But if you go to France and ask for pepper on your dish, they will bring over a pepper grinder, which is known locally as a Ruby Rosa, because he did have quite a famous endowment. Mm. The Ruby Rosas will take the Evanses on a road trip to a small Spanish town. It was Ruby's wedding gift to the couple. He will tell Robert Evans, Roberto... I take you here to offer you my gift of marriage to Camilla. We are now entering Rhonda. It is the oldest bullring in the world. Robert Evans calls this the most romantic gift of my life. Awaiting them was the two awaiting them were the two most legendary matadors in Spanish history in the suit of lights. They performed mano a mano, each fighting a bull in honor of the newlyweds. Bob Evans says no money could have bought such a gift, but that Porfirio Ruby Rosa had arranged it for him, and it was a beautiful gesture of their friendship. Three years, though, done. Couple is out by 1967. (laughs) Such promising beginnings. Camilla would later marry Herbert Hoover III, Hmm. the grandson of President Herbert Hoover. This is a little interlude in the story I like to call Incident with Princess Margaret. (laughs) The one personality trait of Bob Evans that could always be counted on no matter what was his vulgarity. He didn't care who he was talking to. And one of the times he was infamously profane was with Her Royal Highness, Princess Margaret. In 1970, Bob Evans and Allie McGraw were being presented to the Queen Mother and Princess Margaret in London. 
This was right after their film Love Story had been released and was receiving incredible reviews and box office sales. Love Story, in fact, would go on to become one of the highest grossing films of all time, still ranked in the top 10 romantic movies by the American Film Institute. So it comes up to Bob Evans, his turn in the receiving line, and Princess Margaret takes his hand and looks at him and says, Tony, this is Lord Snowden, saw Love Story in New York. And Evans was most likely waiting to hear a compliment about his recent smash hit. But Princess Margaret does not do that. She finishes her statement with, he hated it. And in classic Robert Evans style, he said, fuck you too, smiling back at her. (laughs) Maybe you just heard a name in there, Allie McGraw. Mm -hmm. Welcome to bride number three. Oh boy. Robert Evans's third and longest marriage was to the actress Allie McGraw. The couple marry in 1969 and would be married for the next three years until Allie McGraw leaves Bob Evans for Steve McQueen in 1972. Wow. Okay. Spiderweb rich. Mm -hmm. Like, this is just walking through the field Mm -hmm. of sticky, sticky spiderwebs. Has he considered not dating actresses? No. Okay. No. You silly girl. Allie McGraw and Robert Evans were together when she was cast in the lead role in Love Story. Love Story will go on to become a monumental success. Allie McGraw will be nominated for Best Actress Oscar. The couple marry October 24th, 1969. Their son was born January 16th, 1971. Soon after Love Story... Bob Evans gets deeply immersed in the production of The Godfather. Allie McGraw took the lead role in The Getaway, co-starring Steve McQueen. Now, this is where it gets dicey, because Allie McGraw had wanted to play the role of Daisy in The Great Gatsby, and Bob Evans is like, nah, this other role in The Getaway is better suited to you. It'll broaden your acting range. And Bob Evans is so completely distracted by The Godfather that he doesn't seem to notice what's happening on the set of The Getaway, which is his wife is getting away with Steve McQueen. Soon after filming begins on The Getaway, Allie and Steve having a little fling, and while Bob Evans is ignoring his wife and marriage by putting all of his efforts into work, Allie McGraw had fallen in love with her co-star. Allie will accompany her husband to the premiere of The Godfather. And Bob Evans says it was one of the most magical and memorable evenings of his life. He's on top of the world. But it is soon afterward that he learns of McGraw's affair and then realizes the implication it had been going on for quite some time. Bob Evans, though, stand-up chap, takes responsibility for the end of their marriage. He said he had left her alone so often and neglected her not for other women, but for Paramount Studios and his first love of work. He will confess, I'm a failure in many ways as a man because of my obsession with what I do. Hmm. Classic workaholic. Now, although it seems like a bizarre match, Bob Evans is also really good friends with Henry Kissinger. (laughs) I promised you, you're never going to hear anything like Bob Evans. It's an incredible ride. So when Ali McGraw leaves Bob Evans, Henry Kissinger, his friend, offers to help Bob get her back. 
Okay. Kissinger tells Evans, if I can negotiate with the North Vietnamese, oh my God. I think I can smooth the way with Allie. Oh, my God. Well, that's good, because I thought you were going to say that Kissinger offered to have her killed. So No, Bob will reply, Henry, you know countries, but you don't know women. When it's over, it's over. But Bob Evans always does regret losing Allie McGraw. He'll even, in 1998, tell Cindy Adams of the New York Post, If I had to do it over, I'd still be with Allie. It was my ego. Allie warned me. I'm a hot lady. Never leave me for more than two weeks. Wow. Well, I left her for four months. Wow. So she left me for Steve McQueen. (laughs) Wow. Going to come to another little interlude in the story. Little fun part I like to call Feud with Robert Redford. Oh, my God. Okay. In 1974... Evans is at the height of his success and power in Hollywood, and he's still living in the glow of love story and The Godfather, and now he's producing The Great Gatsby, starring Robert Redford as Gatsby, who was not his first or second choice for the role. When Redford got the part, after Evans's top picks turned it down, Bob Evans stipulates that Robert Redford had to come to New York for the premiere of the film. But Robert Redford sees the final cut of the film and he doesn't like it. And he decides to skip the premiere. Even being in New York City does not go to the premiere in New York City and instead will attend a New York Knicks game (laughs) at Madison Square Garden. So not only is he breaking his contractual obligation to attend, but he's doing it in a very public way. Right. As he walks by the movie premiere like in jeans on his way to the game and like waves at the press. Oh my God. Yeah. Understandably, Bob Evans is a little pissed. Mm -hmm. So a few months later, Robert Evans was a guest lecturer to a college class when he asked who he thought were the sexiest actors in Hollywood. He said Al Pacino and Jack Nicholson. He was then asked why, hey, why didn't you mention Robert Redford? Worked with him, why, yeah. And Bob Evans will describe Redford as being too polished and too pretty to be sexy. Hmm. He said, I think when he kisses a girl, I think he's kissing himself. He's so perfectly made up and precise. Wow. That's quite the portrait. Not that Robert Evans cared if this got back to Robert Redford, Mm -hmm. but a reporter from People happened to be there, publishes Robert Evans' statement, which leads to a years-long feud between Redford and Evans. Beefing back in the day. All right. It's about time for another marriage. Sure. Let's go fourth marriage. Why not? Four up. Robert Evans will say I do for the fourth time to former Miss America Phyllis George in 1977. Phyllis George had recently made history in 1975 as a pioneer in female sports casting (laughs) with her role on CBS Sports. The pair were an odd match, and later Evans would say of George, Square? Let's just say she made Mary Tyler Moore look like Madonna. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Wow. Ego was what motivated my perversity in wanting to make Miss America Mrs. Evans. The couple divorces one year later in 1978. Sounds like he may also have done that kind of opposites thing. Phyllis George will later become the First Lady of Kentucky as the wife of John Young Brown, who will serve as Kentucky's governor from 1979 to 1983. Okay. 
1994, Robert Evans will put himself back on the map and in the spotlight when he does write his memoir called The Kid Stays in the Mm -hmm. Picture. This memoir will likely go down in Hollywood history as one of the most telling and gossipy books full of embarrassing stories about many, many famous people. The memoir was so popular that it was made into a documentary by the same name. The combination of the book and documentary started a resurgence of interest in Robert Evans, especially from a younger audience who may not have even known about the Hollywood legend before. This autobiography is credited with launching the second phase of Evans's career. He will say in a vengeful voice, I was worth 14 million bucks in 1979. In 1990, I had to borrow money to pay my electric bill. Hmm. Now I'm back on top, and don't you think it doesn't taste sweet? (laughs) The book was the inspiration for a short-lived Comedy Central cartoon, an animated sitcom called Kid Notorious, about Robert Hmm. Evans starring Evans as himself. Okay. While hosting a dinner party, though, in honor of director Wes Craven on May 6, 1998, Robert Evans will suffer a nearly fatal stroke. He was mid-toast holding up a Bellini when he falls to the floor. Writing about the incident, Evans recalls, West stood over me ashen. The king of scream, he was scared shitless, and he went down to my motionless body and my eyes opened. Told you, Wes, I slurred in his ear. <laughs> it ain't ever dull around here. Oh, my God. He later told a reporter, A bolt of lightning shot through my body. I thought I had died. I heard Ella Fitzgerald sing It's a Wonderful World. Wow. Mm -hmm. But eventually, after many intense rehabilitation sessions, Evans recovered from his stroke. In fact, he recovered enough to a proposed marriage after just a five-day courtship. Slow down. Although, I guess if you have a near-death experience, maybe your impulse is not to slow down. When the marriage didn't work out, he said, my fault, my brain wasn't working right. (laughs) Okay, that's, mm, okay. So let's talk about that fifth marriage. Yeah. This time to Catherine Oxenberg. On July the 12th, 1998, Robert will marry actress Catherine Oxenberg. But the marriage will last less than two weeks before oh, it's annulled. And this is after a five-day courtship. Yeah. So, well, like, they're they're just going to go through all the phases in a month. 100%. Basically, okay. Mm-hmm. Catherine Oxenberg is distantly related to many European royals. Her mother is Princess Elizabeth of Yugoslavia. <laughs> Princess Elizabeth of Yugoslavia was briefly engaged to Richard Burton after his first divorce from Elizabeth Taylor. Mm-hmm. Princess Elizabeth's mother, Princess Olga of Greece and Denmark, was the sister of Princess Marina, Duchess of Kent. Despite her semi-royal status, however, Catherine Oxenberg, at least probably here in the States, is best known for her role as Amanda Carrington on Dynasty. Okay. Of this very short-lived marriage, Bob Evans says, During my recent medical crisis, Catherine was there for me, and I fell for her. So much so, I forgot it had only been six weeks since I'd been hit with a stroke. Between my various film commitments and the physical therapy, it became unrealistic to believe I could simultaneously incorporate a whole new family, home, and lifestyle. That would have been terribly unfair to Catherine. I I don't know what to say about 
all of that. The trashy flip of the situation, Catherine Oxenberg said, As we all know, during a life and death experience, people tend to bond very quickly. Both of us acted spontaneously, and we regret any confusion we may have caused. Hmm. At this point, we've reverted to friendship being preferable to vows. Okay, actually, that explanation makes a ton of sense. Bob Evans will helpfully contribute. We both agreed to annul our marriage, but not our friendship. Who knows? Maybe down the road we'll give it another (laughs) shot. Why not? (laughs) They did not give it another shot, but there's a lot more to say about that in a Patreon episode for follow-up. It's like this guy is so the marrying kind, he's just not the being married kind. What's that, number five? Okay, it's time to get into number six, I guess. In 2002, Robert Evans decided he would try his hand for the sixth time at marriage when he wed model Leslie Ann Woodward. Woodward was 34. Bob Evans was 72. I mean, at least she hadn't just turned 17. I mean, yeah, definitely legal. That one didn't last very long because, gosh. Why? I can't even imagine. (laughs) God, okay. Evans' last marriage was to former model Lady Victoria White. Lady Victoria White was the widow of British billionaire Lord Gordon White. At the time of their wedding, Evans was 75 and his new bride was 43. The couple meets in November 2004 at a screening for the 30th anniversary of Chinatown. Their wedding takes place in Cabo San Lucas in August 2005. To answer your question from earlier, Of wife number seven, Bob Evans says, She's the only girl I've ever married who's not an actress or an aspiring actress, and you have no idea what a pleasure that is. (laughs) (laughs) As much as he may have been charmed by her lack of Hollywood aspirations, the marriage, surprisingly, does not last. (laughs) After a few months, the couple files for divorce, citing irreconcilable differences. You got it. Victoria possibly should have known that they were not headed for a lifetime of wedded bliss when Evans proposes to her with a framed black and white photo of her and Sir White, her passed away husband, with Bob Evans's face pasted on her <laughs> husband's wow. little Photoshop there of a wow. Evans will explain to Time Magazine that way she could have us. at her bedside at night. No, Bob, you're being weird. Uh, Victoria does ask the court to deny Evans any spousal support from her vast Mm, wealth mm -hmm. acquired when Lord Gordon White, 40 years her senior, died a few years after they had gotten married. What a life, what a legend. Robert Evans dies October 26th, 2019, At the age of 89 years old. Wow. In his lifetime, he fit in more than most people ever dream of doing or marrying or divorcing or producing or cussing. There's a lot. And when his remarkable, tumultuous, scandalous, and adventurous life came to an end from pneumonia, dies at his beloved home called Woodland, which once was owned by another Hollywood legend, Greta Garbo. The last tweet that Evans wrote were fitting last words. In July 2019, he responded to a negative comment about him. His response was, 
I bet your ass I've done more in the last month than you've done in your entire life. Persnickety, wasn't he? Francis Ford Coppola, the director of The Godfather, who worked closely with Evans over his career, says of the legend, may the kid always stay in the picture. I don't know how I feel about having lived into a time where you can kind of profile someone and then include, and the last tweet they sent. That's weird. That's Done more in the last month than you've done in your whole life. Mm-hmm. Kid stays in the picture. Wow, that really delivered. You've been telling me that this literally has everything. Had everything. Has everything. I think this is sort of a roll your own number of trash cans because it has everything depending on the purview and how much you're able to develop that script. What's your budget? I don't know. Can you film the entire field of trash cans? Are you just going for a close up? I think trash cans here depends on your budget. Fair. That's fair. But at least seven. Seven minimum. I think honestly, based on budget, Number of cameras, how many extras, I don't know. There's a lot to the story Mm -hmm. of my Bob. Sure. Who I believe, it sounds like our Bobs actually... Were contemporaries? Overlapped pretty completely. So, yeah. Let's take a break. Unstick these spider webs and we're going to go down under uh for for a different kind of Bob. What about Bob? See you on the flip. Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island, from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. We've all seen the headlines in the news of how someone lost their life in an act of cold-blooded murder. And while it's sad and grabs your attention, most people go on with their day without giving it another thought. But have you ever stopped to think about the life of the person at the center of the news story? They were more than just a headline or a statistic. They were someone's loved one or friend. I'm Mike Morford, and my podcast, The Murder of My Family, dives into some of those stories to help listeners get to know the person who was lost and how their death affected those closest to them. Listen to The Murder of My Family everywhere you listen to podcasts. There are well over 100 episodes to binge on now. If you have been thinking about your financial situation, if you've been brewing questions you would like to ask a financial professional, if you would like some guidance on addressing debt, investing, or other general financial organization, then in the immortal lyrics of Amy Ray, I said it's time. Don't assume anything, just go, go, go. 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 To the oaktreegroup.net. There you will find the contact information for three holistic financial planners that have been working together for over 17 years. Kelly, Eileen, and Ellen will tailor a financial strategy for your unique goals and circumstances. You can also give them a call at 770-319-1700 to schedule your free one-hour consultation. They would never use your years to psych you out. Again, the phone number is 770-319-1700, and the website is www.theoaktreegroup.net. Go, go, go. So, Stacy, you're taking us south of the equator to hear about another Bob. Another Bob who lived to be 89 years old and died in 2019. It's, wow. What, a, what an odd episode we're having today. We really lined this up better than anticipated. Alicia, I really have to say that what our friends in Australia may lack in population density, they more than make up for it in the density of trashy divorces. On this show, we've already covered politician Barnaby Joyce and his Barna baby scandal, where the pro-family stalwart abandoned his wife and four daughters and ran off with a staffer with whom he now has two more kids. We covered the now late cricketer Shane Warne, whose habit of pursuing only women who would sell the story to tabloids made his own marriage quite a tricky situation. We've covered Lang Hancock, the rich iron tycoon who married his 40-year younger maid, Rose Porteous, who was maybe in the country illegally in the first place, enraging his own adult daughter. Hell, in your Olivia Newton-John story, one of her longtime boyfriends is either lost at sea or faked his own death and went on the lam in Mexico, Australia. You are truly a land of wonder. <laughs> This month, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. <laughs> oi, oi, oi. This month marked the third anniversary of the passing of one of Australia's most consequential and I believe quite beloved prime ministers, Bob Hawke. This month also featured elections in Australia that returned Bob Hawke's party to the prime ministership for the first time in about a decade. Huzzah! Bob Hawke held the office from 1983 to 1991, making him the third longest serving PM in the nation's history and the longest labor prime minister ever. He's widely credited with a huge list of economic reforms that modernized the country and its economy. They implemented universal health care that Australians continue to rely on, ended gender-based discrimination in the workplace, strengthened political and military ties with the United States there in the waning days of the Cold War, all of which was a very big deal in real time and remains relevant to us decades later. But he was not just a successful politician. No, oh, no. no. <laughs> Bob Hawke was, in the words of the woman who became his second wife after a years-long affair, 
quote, perpetually unfaithful, unquote. And that's the positive review from someone who loved him for decades. Wow. That's the glowing review. Perpetually unfaithful. Robert James Lee Hawk was born on December 9th, 1929, in the tiny town of Border Town in South Australia, the state of South Australia. This is a pretty remote spot, about 150 miles, 250 kilometers from Adelaide. And he grew up in an extremely supportive and religious household. His father, Clem, was a Congregationalist minister. His mother, Ellie, taught school. He had an older brother, Neil, who unfortunately, at the age of 18, contracted meningitis, which killed him. Mm. Bob was about 10 when that happened. Uh, Anyway, his parents' grief turned into this fervent, passionate faith in their younger surviving son's destiny. Oh, Oh, my. Oh, yeah. Transferred all that imago. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Which, I mean, it, it worked out for him. But yeah, anyway. His mom made him sign a pledge when he was a kid to permanently abstain from alcohol. This would not work out. While his dad tried to instill in him a sense of duty to the larger community, telling him, son... If you believe in the fatherhood of God, you must necessarily believe in the brotherhood of man. After Neil died, the family relocated to (laughs) bustling Perth, (laughs) where young Bob excelled in school and would ultimately attend the University of Western Australia. He'd end up being a lawyer. As a freshman, he was in a nearly fatal motorcycle accident. Oh my God. When he passed out on his way to the university library to do some studying. And you can imagine his parents reaction like when he finally began to mend after being in critical condition for days in the hospital at roughly the same age that his brother had been. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Another thing going on in his life in this era was that Bob got himself a girlfriend. Kind of a childhood sweetheart. I think they were 18 when they met, but it was at a church camp, some kind of church event. This is Hazel Masterson. Hazel was a Perth native who was born July 20th, 1929, so the same age. And these two kids were quite seriously in love. In 1952, after Bob had been accepted as a Rhodes Scholar but had not yet left, he was preparing to head off to the University of Oxford in London, Hazel discovered that she was pregnant. Rhodes Scholarships at the time, fun fact, were only awarded to unmarried men. (gasps) And, you know, given the mores of the day, it was unlikely that Oxford University was going to smile on a Rhodes Scholar who had abandoned his pregnant girlfriend back in Australia. Oh, and uh, the first female Rhodes Scholars arrived in Oxford in 1977. Wow. It took that long. <gasps> 25 years later. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. So Hazel uneasily opted for an abortion, which was illegal at the time in Australia. The experience would inform a lifetime of pro-choice advocacy by Hazel, who spoke movingly and publicly about her own experience. When Bob returned from Oxford in 1956, they finally married and started a family that would grow to include four children, although the youngest, Robert Jr., was born premature and, and survived only four days in 1963. Oh, and I should also add... I know that that's sad stuff. I should add about that abstain from alcohol pledge. When Bob arrived at Oxford, he set this world, this world record has been broken. Oh no. But he set the world record for, I think this is pronounced sconcing, 
what we would call beer chugging, but it involves these specialized long glasses called a yard glass. Anyway, Bob down the equivalent of about a liter and a half of beer in 11 seconds, a feat that would only endear him in the minds of Australian voters in the decades to come. I believe the current world record for sconcing is five seconds. Some eager Oxfordian. Married by 1957 with a growing family, Bob spent the first part of his career as a research officer at the Australian Council of Trade Unions in Melbourne, where he began to build a reputation as a gregarious advocate for workers and wage increases, but also as a hardcore workaholic and alcoholic. He'd begin his day with a brandy at breakfast. Mm. Oh yeah, one of those. And work could take him anywhere in the country. So he was traveling constantly. He was often absent from his family, had a very public job, leaving Hazel alone to raise their three children. I think it's fair to say that his travels included lots of boozing and womanizing, which certainly did not help the marriage. After Robert Jr.'s death, Bob's drinking increased significantly, and at one point he he collapsed with alcohol poisoning and I think had to be treated for that. Oh, no. You can probably imagine Hazel's reaction when, in 1971, her alcoholic absentee womanizing husband was, for some reason, named Victoria's Father of the Year. Oh, that's rich. A choice that she publicly called absurd. Really? Are you kidding me? Meanwhile, his high-profile work with the union and his growing public image meant that by the later part of the 70s, women from across Australia were sending Hazel letters about Bob's affairs. Some of these were from his mistresses. Others wanted to kind of warn Hazel because, you know... So here's poor Hazel just going out to her mailbox to get her phone bill. There were women writing to her, criticizing her for staying with such a low-down dog. Like, mm -hmm. Wow. Just awkward, man. There were many women, suffice it to say. But one in particular requires mention. This is Blanche Dalpuget, born January 3rd, 1944. So a bit younger, like a 15-year younger She's a Sydney girl. She was a journalist and first met Bob in 1970, I think in Indonesia, where she was living with her then-husband. And following a 1976 interview with him about his union work, they began an affair. As the 70s came to a close, Hazel was at her wit's end and saw a divorce lawyer. Oh, I think I would have too, Hazel. Her chief complaint was Bob's drinking, but the barely concealed womanizing was not awesome either. In her memoir, she described this period this way, quote, We had reached our lowest ebb. Each of us asked the other to leave. We both stayed. Meanwhile, this is around the time Bob told Blanche that he and Hazel were separating and that he wanted to marry her. Bob. Bob. (laughs) So normally, I don't, maybe not normally, I think from, I think from the not married to the guy's perspective, this tends to be a no-takes-backsies type of thing to say to someone. But Bob Hawk followed up by actually ghosting Blanche because <sighs> he had decided to jump into electoral politics. So he stood for a safe labor seat in Melbourne in 1980, won it handily. This would be his, his seat uh, for the next decade or so. Can I make sure I understand? He's not divorcing his wife, tells his mistress he wants to marry her, but then ghosts the mistress? Ghosts the mistress. He had repeatedly worried out loud that if he got divorced, that could cost labor 3% 
of the votes. I think he also... What is it costing to your poor wife and your poor mistress? I think he also figured that he, he had his eye on becoming prime minister. Like, that, that was his goal in politics. And I think he thought that that would not happen for him if he divorced anyway. So what does Bob do? Well, okay, so there's all, all of this, like, but I have other ambitions, rationalizations. But that did not make the sudden separation easier on Blanche. Blanche, in fact, was so heartbroken by his betrayal that she considered assassinating Bob by shooting him or stabbing him in the chest. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Quote, I was devastated in a way I had never experienced before. At first, I wanted to kill myself, but after a couple of days, I knew that what I really wanted was to kill Bob. It was only the thought of my son that held me back and finally brought me to reason. So Blanche is currently the only surviving member of this love triangle with Hazel and Bob. And she has a whole lot of refreshingly frank takes about like this whole situation from, you know, from like more toward today. A couple of years ago, she told news.com.au, it would be a lot more brutal now, like of how the public would react to Bob ultimately leaving Hazel to marry her, which is what happens. But she goes on to say, it's one of the reasons democracy is going down the gurgler everywhere. It's because <laughs> good, strong people aren't going into politics because of social media. They don't want to get themselves and their families put through it. These days, everybody's got a camera in their pocket. Politicians are now walking on eggshells the whole time. There is a great Puritanism that's fallen upon us. I love that. It's democracy. Going down the gurgler. Gone down the gurgler. So about kicking off the affair in 1976, when her own marriage to a diplomat was gradually imploding, she said of that era, the clique was different. Affairs were par for the course. Things were a lot wilder then than they are now. I believe you, Blanche. I believe you too, Blanche. I believe you. In an unexpected twist, Bob and Blanche managed to forge a friendship. And she wrote a best-selling biography of him that was published in 1982. Yeah, they spent like two years working on it. But he's still married to Hazel. Okay. Mm, Yeah. For like more than a decade still. Wow. So this book, she says, quote, helped to persuade those who mattered to make him the leader of his party, from which point electoral success was assured, unquote. In pursuit of his political ambitions and with a new focus on perhaps mending his marriage, Bob started making some image-shifting changes in his own life. Most notably, he finally quit drinking. He'd, oh. he'd apparently tried repeatedly to quit drinking, and it just didn't work out. But he was finally able to quit drinking. Hazel, Good on Bob. Yeah. Hazel wrote of this period, quote, There were no blinding flashes or passionate declarations, but we were more relaxed and companionable with each other as life's storms abated. In 1982, so he's been in office now a couple years, Bob challenged the current Labor Party leader for the job and lost by five votes. After a disappointing labor showing at uh, December 1982 by-elections, the former leader resigned, and then like a whole lot of machinations happened really fast. So the prime minister at the time was a guy named Malcolm Fraser. He was center-right liberal party. He attempted to call a snap election as this leadership situation was going down. And it's all pre-cell phone, pre-email, all of that. Uh, But apparently, if a snap election was called, Labor would not have been able to appoint a new leader or the old leader wouldn't be allowed to step down or so. I'm not sure what the specifics are on that. But 
by the time news that the snap elections had been called was announced, Bob had already been named leader of labor. So fantastic. Short circuited that. But then there were elections in a month because that's what a snap election is. So in March of 1983, having been labor leader for one month, Bob led his party to a romping victory, picking up 24 seats and ending a seven year run of liberal prime ministers. He became Prime Minister of Australia 36 days after becoming Labour's leader. The man oozed charisma. He had a winning charm. He was a delight to ordinary Australians. He refused to sit in the back seat of chauffeured vehicles and instructed his driver from the passenger seat to call him Bob and remember that he, Bob, works for the government just like the driver does. Like, whatever. Don't, yeah, just no airs. Okay. Completely. He was feisty with the press. He was ordinary guy funny. After Australia won the America's Cup sailing race in 83, like six months into his tenure, he said to a TV reporter, any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up to work today is a bum. (laughs) Right? He was also known to get pretty choked up in public from time to time. This is like a cross between Bill Clinton and John Boehner is, is what I'm... Anyway... Uh, He cried on television while discussing one of his children's issues with substance misuse. Uh, And in 1989, he made headlines around the world by admitting his long history of infidelity and how much it had hurt Hazel. He was the sitting prime minister of Australia and about to go into what would be his fourth and final electoral victory. And this is how the Associated Press wrote it up at the time. Oh, goody. In an extraordinary public confession, Prime Minister Bob Hawke tearfully admitted to a national TV audience today that he had been unfaithful to his wife of 33 years. Hawke made the admission in a taped interview on Channel 7's News World program. His confession made headlines in every Australian newspaper this morning. In the interview, Hawke was asked what people mean when they accuse him of being a womanizer. Quote, They mean I was unfaithful to my wife, Hawk replied. No, duh. Interviewer, is that true? Hawk, yep. (laughs) Interviewer, did you stop that? Yes, Hawk replied in tears. And then, I guess there are not many women who would have put up with me all that time, but my love for her never changes. I have always loved Hazel, always will. Again, this is 1989. It is likely worth noting that the year before, in 1988, Bob and Blanche had, like, officially resumed their affair. I think they may have been dalliancing the whole say, time. She wrote a whole book about them. Come on. But I think things became more serious. It comes up in biographies that 1988, they resumed their affair. So the timing here is kind of gross for that admission. Like, I used to, but I have changed my ways. And No, you, you have not. Anyway, uh, his party did win that next election, but the country was increasingly mired in the global recession that ended the 1980s. It had gone through a period of very high inflation. Prior to the recession, unemployment finally peaked at 10.8%. People were unhappy. So I guess the good news is that recessions tend to fix inflation problems, but what they don't do is uh, make the people running the joint more popular in the eyes of the public. True that. So in June of 91, Bob's longtime political partner, Paul Keating, who had been a treasury treasurer in his cabinet, I guess they don't have treasury secretaries, they have ministers, anyway, made a challenge to become the party leader, take over labor. He lost, 
But by then, Bob's popularity was just kind of cratering. I think Australians just wanted change. Like, they were going through an exhausting period, and he'd been in charge for a long time. So anyway, Paul challenged him again in December, also won by just five votes. But this ended the Bob Hawke government after about nine years. Hazel, it should be noted, had remained the consummate politician's wife through it all. It was at the lodge, the official residence of the PM in Canberra, that a young future cricketer named Shane Warne no. would be welcomed to play tennis with his brother by both of the Hawks, but especially Hazel, who employed his mother as a housekeeper, as we discussed when we covered Shane Warne some weeks back. Hazel was as beloved by the public as her husband was. In 1984, Bob's approval rating was 75% among the Australian public. The, yeah, these are just That's numbers. incredible. Yeah, that just does not happen. And Hazel's willingness to open up about her own and her family's struggles really endeared her to the public. As Bob left Parliament for the last time in February of 1992, she wrote that they looked forward to a long and happy retirement together in their recently completed home overlooking Sydney Harbour. Quote, We two sexagenarians have gathered just a touch of moss, but not nearly enough to stop us rolling busily, contentedly on with each other, our children, and theirs, in our little bit of magic. How long did the magic last? Oh, my God. So, slight problem. Yes, you're completely right. I, I don't think the affair was particularly private, even. I'm not clear on, like, how much Hazel knew, but Blanche says that, like, each of us asked the other to leave Bob, and neither of us did. Like, the, it, it really, it was just this long-running... In the end, it was Bob who left Hazel in 1994 after 38 years of marriage. There was a specific incident that prompted it. In 1993, Blanche was in a seaplane that crashed into the sea near the Great Barrier Reef. There were six people on board. They had to swim out a window to escape. Fortunately, there was a boat nearby that came in and rescued them. Blanche told a podcast recently, the one phone call I made was to go between the man who was our secret contact who would kind of handle the assignations. But he was a drama queen, and he rang up Bob and said, Bob, Blanche has been in a plane crash, and he paused. Bob said in that moment he felt himself die. And the man added, but she's all right. But it was just that instant. He knew that had I died, his life wouldn't have been worth living. The divorce, of course, was crushing to his family. It created a schism with his kids that... I think mostly healed over the years, but it was a huge scandal in the public. Like, I think everybody kind of knew, like, Bob had a history, but it just, I don't know, everyone loved Hazel, too. It was just, it was a thing. So even though he was no longer in elected office, I the nation had grown to love Hazel during her almost nine years as first lady. But whatever the blowback to divorcing Hazel and marrying Blanche, he told a friend at the time, I've got the next 20 years to go, and I want to live it with the person I love. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, he it, it does. I mean, he actually had closer to 25 years, as noted. He departed, he, sh he shuffled off his mortal coil on May 16th of 2019 at the age of 89. I don't know how this, how this happened with our bobs this week. He outlived Hazel, who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease in 2001. But her reaction, aside from reportedly announcing bugger, 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 was pretty typically Hazel, 
She started the Hazel Hawk Alzheimer's Research and Care Fund in 2003 uh, in partnership with a, a foundation in Australia, an initiative that continues to support research into prevention and management of Alzheimer's disease, as well as services for people with the disease and their carers. She passed in May of 2013 with Bob and her children at her bedside. This leaves us with Blanche Delpuget, who is 78 years old and a virtual quotomatic <laughs> on the topic of many things. She's a writer. She's a novelist. I don't know if she's still putting out material, but she, she has in recent years. She told the Sydney Morning Herald in 2013 that it was not she who broke up Bob's marriage, but, quote, his literally hundreds of affairs. That's a lot. Unquote. And this is while he's still alive and they're married. And like, I mean, uh, that's understanding who you're with. Yeah. That is having a real good estimation of the person that you are choosing to be with. For sure. Um, just in terms of her being a quotomatic later... The uh, interviewer asked her about cosmetic surgery, uh, and she just snapped back, you debase yourself in asking questions that are both stigmatizing and sexist. Good for you, Blanche. Good for you, Blanche. A different interviewer asked her once if Bob ever felt guilty about their long, you know, extramarital relationship while he was married, to which Blanche replied, are you kidding? He was perpetually unfaithful. He loved Hazel, and he was perpetually unfaithful. Bob was not a faithful husband. I didn't feel like I was doing anything bad. That's amazing. She's also mindful of her husband's legacy. After he contracted a stomach virus in 2015 that nearly killed him, the pair bought plots to be buried in. She says, quote, The graves are side by side. We chose a spot where the public can come. It'll be nice. It's in a rose garden and there's a seat. So if a member of the public wants to come and have a sit, they can. So... Aussies, there you go. If you want to go have a sit with the dearly departed Bob Hawk. You can do it. You can do it. I am not sure how many trash cans to award. I mean, I calculated, I think he was married 63 of his 89 years to two different women. So maybe 63. Is every trash can perpetually unfaithful? Yeah. Yes, and the trash cans are scattered at various women's homes around the country of Australia. No, fascinating guy, like super successful politician and also consummate ladies' man, apparently. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. Well done, Bob Hawke. Bob Hawke. Yeah, Bobby is his name. Yeah. That was a real adventure yeah. in Trashy Divorces this week. Ride through the bobs. Thanks, everybody, for <laughs> tuning in to this week's episode. We'll be back on Wednesday with a brand new Trashy Breakup. That was a lot to process. I'm covered in spider webs now. Excellent. Excellent. Might be time to shower. <laughs> in the meantime, if you would like more from us, you can join us at patreon.com slash trashy divorces for bonus content. And Trash Pandas, I promise you're going to like Done and Done over the next few weeks. If mm. you're not already checking it out, we're going to be revisiting a few of the attachments to the stories we've told over the last few weeks. Excellent. So again, thank you for joining us today. Big love until we meet again. Keep your hands clean. Keep those hearts trashy. Keep them perpetually faithful to the trash candy that bonds us together. Yes. Have an amazing week, friends. Talk to you on Wednesday. Bye. Bye.
And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at TrashyDivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at Patreon.com slash TrashyDivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear want to advertise with us reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information and last but not least come play with us on social media i keep most of our trashy divorces instagram hopping stacy and i share it up over on facebook including our trashy divorces podcast discussion group come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening keep it trashy y'all